Joe Biden has entered a crowded field of Democratic candidates for president. I have some thoughts about that. David French has a really good new op-ed out. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more on today's Corey Act show. Before we do any of those very fun things, though, I actually want to start with something we've never done on the Corey Truax Show, and that is a new word I'm making up. It's called grab baggery. We're just going to do a grab bag of stories that I wanted to get to that usually I'd hold this to the end, but I think this will be fun to go ahead and just work through several headlines, and then we'll get into some things with more gravity and depth here in just a moment. Before we do anything, though, my name is Corey Truax. I'll be your host for the hour, which works out well because the name of the show is my name, so that's really appropriate that I would be the one that hosts it. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk thing here on the Corey Truax Show. I also serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church, and Beachwood Church meets on Sunday mornings at 1030 in Greenville. We meet on 123 at our property there. We'd love to have you there any given Sunday morning, 1030, Beachwood Church. So, first segment here, I just want to throw you several things that I have on my screen that I think are worth talking about. Number one, I saw Avengers Endgame, and it's awesome. For a guy like me, Avengers Endgame is a culmination. It's a capstone of a long time. The first Iron Man movie came out, I think it's 11 years ago. Iron Man historically was like my favorite superhero when I was a kid, so I was really into the Iron Man movie. And this has been 21, I think it's 21 or 22 Marvel Cinematic Universe movies over 11 years, culminating in this three-hour extravaganza in Avengers Endgame. And it blew every record you could possibly imagine away. In its first weekend, 1.2 billion, that's a B, $1.2 billion worldwide. The previous record was the previous Infinity War movie, so it was Avengers Infinity War, at $641 million. So not quite doubling, but close. This movie earned $1.2 billion in its opening weekend. And I would say maybe we could take some kind of deeper lesson from that. That's a possibility about what, we, what we're looking for as a people. And I think there is something aspirational. There is, because this is not just... It's thought of as comic book movies, but there's so much more than that. I think I said on the show before, there's several of these that you can take out the superpowers and some of the action sequences, and you will still have unbelievably compelling stories. Captain America Winter Soldier is a story about brotherhood and loyalty and faithfulness to one another as people. You get into the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and they're funny, and the action sequences are intense and all that, but those are stories about family wounds from our mother and wounds from our fathers and how that changes us as people. I know that's you, you hear that and you go, come on, man, it's a comic book movie. But no, these, these movies have a lot of depth and feeling to them. And then there's something aspirational in them that we, we set up as the, as the moral better of this group. So there's this universe of superheroes and the guy who tends to be the leader of the Avengers and, He's even called the first Avengers Captain America. He is embodiment of virtue. He's embodiment of courage. He's embodiment of, an embodiment of the American spirit. 
over on my other show, South Carolina Connections, which you can find at palmettofamily.org. Palmettofamily.org. You can find my second podcast. Uh, it's called South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax. I recently talked about this. That consider what America is. America is a group is made up of a group of people not having seen North America. Decided, yeah, let's get on a boat. Let's adventure. Let's do something courageous. And then, even after it gets established, consider what America continues to be by immigration. We become the world's all-star team, where the courageous people, the people with innovation, those that are willing to bet on themselves, get on boats, traverse a treacherous ocean to come here and start businesses and be entrepreneurs and continue to move west. We were pioneers. We were always pushing. That's the American spirit. And Captain America, this embodiment of virtue and character and courage, and there's something aspirational in these movies about what we are looking for from those that we can follow, looking for in leadership. And it's, I, I, I know there's, there's something there culturally that actually is important, that we are looking for something better and bigger. And one of the ways we do that is into that fantasy world of, of these superhero movies. Anyway, I saw it, and it was awesome. I highly recommend it if you have not seen it. I won't do any spoilers here, uh, but I told you several stories here in the first segment that I just wanted to make sure we got to. So Avengers Endgame breaks every record, sets the records. If anything can beat it, it'll be Star Wars coming up here. I guess that's in December, the final Star Wars. Uh, but they kind of ruined Star Wars trilogy. I guess that's now, it'll be the ninth movie, so it's not a trilogy anymore. I'm not a huge, huge fan of the newest Star Wars. That'll be the only thing with a chance to break it, and I don't think it's going to even come close. Next. Speaking of Star Wars, check out that professional broadcaster segue. Another story I wanted to get to from the AP. From the Associated Press, the headline is, New study says universe expanding faster, but is younger than expected. To give you the shortest version, there is something called the Hubble Constant, and there's the, you know, obviously the Hubble Space Telescope, what, what's been recently found by a Johns Hopkins University astronomer, I believe his name was Adam Reese, he, he put out a, a study that says we were basically we're wrong about the universe's age. I think we might be off by about a billion years. And this is a slowly being accepted conclusion that the, uh, you just go to the Big Bang Theory, the TV show, it opens up with the song, The whole universe was in a hot, dense state. The nearly 14 billion years ago expansion started. Wait, if you haven't seen The Big Bang Theory, the sitcom, that's the opening theme song. And now this guy comes along and says, I'm not sure that we're right. I don't think it's 14 billion. It's probably closer to 12 and a half billion years old. I bring up the story only for one purpose. It is, I, I don't find young earth creationism to be a necessity for the faith. So like what Ken Ham is out there doing on Answers in Genesis. I don't hate on Ken Ham. I don't dislike Ken Ham. I think his position that the earth is less than 10,000 years old, the universe is less than 10,000 years old, this is a necessity for doctrine. I think he's wrong about that. I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other about old earth and young earth. It, I tend not to take strong, hard opinions on things that are not directly related to the conversion of souls in the age of the universe and the age of the earth is not a central core doctrine. But in that realm where I don't really care one way or the other, I'm fine with saying the earth is old and the universe is billions of years old. I don't think that's heresy of any sort. 
it does bring up this to me, where we are told by a secular world, listen to the scientists, listen to the experts, whatever they say is right, because they're the experts, they know. What do you do when your experts come along later and say, so this thing we said, 14 billion, we actually think it's 12 and a half billion. Guys, that's, that's a lot. That's not a small error when you're dealing with the largeness of numbers. I mean, what if you're missing, uh, missing it by 1.5? I'm actually trying to do math in my head right now, which is really dangerous. If it's 1.5 divided by 14, isn't that like 11%? Yeah, it's like 11%. Like you had the age of the universe off by 11%, and then you demand to be trusted without question on everything. And maybe the scientists don't do that. I actually have a friend. I don't know if he called me a friend anymore. But when we were younger, uh, this is a guy who did an undergrad in biology. He went off to a not quite Ivy League, but close to Ivy League med school. Very smart guy. And we have, we've had these conversations before. And he said to me, well, we in, the, we in the sciences, we aren't the ones demanding everyone listen to us about evolution and the age of the earth and when it comes to global warming. That's the media. The media demands to be uh, that we, everything we say be perfect. But the scientists are much more modest. All right, fine. But that's what we are given as a culture. Whatever the experts say, believe it, bottom line, don't even question it. And then the experts come out and tell us they were off by 11% on a very fundamental fact, how old the universe is. And so I, it just calls for some humility. And I think it calls for us to be able to, to say, all right, when I hear a fact or when I hear information from experts, I, I will take it in, under advisement, but I don't have to just outright believe it immediately. Third story that just came across my screen I thought deserved some time. There are several apps out there on your iPhone, and you can get them on Android as well, that try to help you manage your screen time. So I use one of these. It sends me a report on Sundays and tells me how long I had my screen, my iPhone, on during the week and how many minutes or hours I spent in each app. And so it's just some accountability that I, I review every Sunday to see how I'm using my time. There are other apps out there that give you tools like uh, a screen, like you can actually open the app and see where have you done, what have you been on today, for how long. There's some apps you can put on your phone that will straight up shut it down unless you put in some kind of code. Once you've been on Instagram for an hour, Instagram won't open anymore. There's been some other apps that will change the uh, color scheme. Some people just put the grayscale on. There, there are some studies that show you're way less likely to keep looking at your phone if you turn the grayscale on, so you're not always looking at these very compelling colors. So the there, there are apps out there that are trying to help people use their screens less, and it appears Apple is shutting them down. They're just systematically taking the apps out of the App Store with no explanation. And of course they are. Apple needs you to be using your phones. Apple wants you addicted to your phones. Not out of anything nefarious. They aren't bad people trying to make you dumber. That's their product. They want you to use their product. They want you to be obsessed with their product like anybody else does. Everybody, Everyone that starts a business wants you to love their product so much you get addicted to it and you can't stop using it. And it appears Apple is actually cracking down on the tools that are trying to help people be less addicted to their phones. This is a point I've made many times when it comes to the apps on your phone, when it, uh, when it comes to social media. I think we, in a really deleterious way, 
view our Facebook feeds as morally neutral or as ideologically neutral. Where it's just, you know, whatever news comes across, that's just the news that comes across my Facebook feed or my Twitter feed. I think what we all need to recognize is Facebook and Twitter exist for the same reason Apple exists. They exist to keep you using their service. So Facebook doesn't want you to know right things or useful things or the truth. They just want you to keep using the app, keep it open, keep scrolling. Twitter doesn't want you to have useful information or true information. They just want you to keep scrolling, keep the app open. So when they can figure out that you are a big Trump supporter, they're going to give you Trump cheerleading stuff. When they find out you're an anti-Trump person, they're going to give you more anti-Trump stuff. If you if they find out you're really, really into, I don't know, sewing your own clothes, they're going to keep giving you content like that. If you're an anti-vaccine person, they're going to keep putting content like that before you. Like This is what they do, and we need to recognize that. The, the companies out there, the, the products we use from them and the apps we use from them, all their their purpose is not to make your life better. They're not trying to make you smarter. They just want you to keep using their product, keep using their app. That's why they exist on the planet. All right, final story that's of uh, I hate to call any of these shallow, but just stories that won't take a long time, and then we're we're going to do something with depth when we come back. I think it's just important that we recognize right now the economy is booming. The last GDP report came out uh, for quarter one. We're at three. 0.2%. We're averaging 3% growth over the last four quarters, over the last year. That's good news for your fellow man. It's good news for your fellow Americans. So just be excited by that. I think we uh, we attach economic data to political personalities in a really negative way. Or really, we should just be happy. Great. That's good news. It's good news for us and our, our friends and our families for the, for the economy to be growing at 3.2%. That came along with last week, the uh, or at least as as I'm recording, and with the stock market, who knows what's going to happen next week. But the, as I'm recording, the stock market is at its all-time high again. Tech stocks are booming, doing really well. And again, these are things to celebrate just because it's good for your fellow man, it's good for your countrymen. 401ks and retirement funds are often indexed to the stock market. And so when it's doing well, that's good for everybody. And so one more piece of news before we hit the break. Let's at least be grateful for that. Grateful that we're living in, a, uh, you know, we're, we're due for a recession. The way recessions have worked in the United States since the Great Depression, it's usually every 10 to 12 years. Our last recession was that 2008, 9, and 10 horrible recession that just kept stretching on, and the recovery w- was not robust. Uh, we're due for a recession, really. And the fact that we're seeing this kind of growth rate should encourage all of us and there should be no there there should be no political ramification to that that we don't celebrate it because it's good for it's good for everybody for the economy and the stock market to be doing as well as it is when we come back we're going to stop switching stories every 2 or 3 minutes and we're going to dig in really heavy on a great opinion editorial by David French we'll do that and a whole lot more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax show Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Here is the headline from the editorial I'm about to work through with you. No one turn off your radio or stop listening to the podcast. Stick with me. From David French, the headline is, Franklin Graham 
in the high cost of the lost evangelical witness. Stick with me. Don't freak out. But that's the title. Franklin Graham and the High Cost, the Lost Evangelical Witness. Before I dive into that, really quickly, connect to the show if you would be so kind. On Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, look for me, Corey Truax. You'll find me there. And if you're not doing that, you're missing out. There's all kinds of content during the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm putting stuff out there just for you, working hard for you to have information, inspiration, enlightenment, education. I'm trying to think of all the words I can for you to have more of the content I produce during the week as well. So connect on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And every time you share the podcast, an angel gets its wings. Just kidding. But, uh, because by the way, angels probably don't have wings. We should talk about that sometime. Uh, uh, I'm about to do it right now. Stop, Corey. Stay up. Focus. Got to focus. But angels probably don't have wings. In In any event, some other good thing might happen. Every time you share the show on social media, I'm grateful when you do. All right, here we go. This story was sent to me twice. Only two people sent me the story. One is a... Christian, who found it compelling and interesting and thought I would agree, and the other is an atheist, who said, hey man, this made me think of you, that you, you, I wish more people were thinking like David French and you, because uh, this, this atheist who's outside of the faith, he finds a problem with the credibility of a lot of Christians because of some of the ways that we're handling politics. So I'm going to give you his op-ed here in a moment, but I want to just give you one. Here's something I noticed. I'll say it this way. Here's something I noticed. Franklin Graham recently did something I agreed with. Franklin Franklin Graham tweeted regarding Pete Buttigieg. He is running third in the polls right now nationally for the Democratic nomination for president. He's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and none of us would know his name if it weren't for this fact. He's a gay man. Because he happens to be a homosexual man, the Democratic primary voters give him more credibility and more credence. He's a bigger deal because he's, quote, intersectional. He is part of a victim group, so he gets more attention. At least a, a supposed victim group. And Pete Buttigieg also claims to be a practicing Christian. And he has said he's tried to use some Bible to defend himself. And so it is a totally appropriate role for Franklin Graham, for a Christian with a public persona, it is totally appropriate to correct a public error. So Pete Buttigieg goes out and makes an argument about homosexuality that is unbiblical and wrong, justifying his marriage to his husband. It is a totally appropriate thing because of this big public error that Buttigieg has made for Christians in public to respond. Totally fine. And Frank Franklin Graham did that. He went out on Twitter to his credit and said, God designed sexuality for one man and one woman. To He, he designed the sexual act itself to be enjoyed between one man and one woman only in marriage. And marriage, because it is God's idea, it is not a social construct, it is only between one man and one woman. Anything else outside of that is not actually marriage. Great job, Franklin Graham. The moment I saw that, though, I knew what the reaction would be, and I was right. And I don't blame the people that reacted this way. Franklin Graham has a credibility problem because Franklin Graham has spent the last several years defending the President of the United States. 
And so when the tweets started rolling into Franklin Graham that said things like, right, so you are hardcore defending someone who was married, was committing adultery, divorced that wife, married the woman with him with whom he was committing adultery, started committing adultery again, divorced that wife, married that third one, and we have totally solidified evidence that he's committed adultery on, with uh, against his wife with a porn star and then paid the porn star to not talk about it. So you're super concerned with Pete Buttigieg and his behavior, but you defend with no shame the anti-marriage behavior, the fornication of this other character. And I knew it was a problem, and it was. I can't even blame the unbelieving world for looking at Franklin Franklin Graham and going, wait, what? When did you start caring again? When did you start caring about sexual ethics? And so this is a problem, not just Franklin Graham, but those who would, in the evangelical world, spend time, effort, words, money defending the, the behavior of the President of the United States, the problem is you lose credibility. You know who could treat that about Pete Buttigieg with total credibility? Me. Because I don't care what stupid party you're from. I will tell you what the truth is, and I will, with authority from the Bible, call good good and evil and e- call evil evil, and whatever happens in your stupid little elections, I don't care. Because that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is what's right and what's wrong. And too many evangelicals, including Franklin Graham, boy, do they care about their elections. And so they will play games. And they will massage the truth. And they won't tell full truths because, well, what will happen with our election? What's going to happen when the voting comes? Listen, elections matter. They don't matter as much as people's souls as your own credibility. Proverbs will tell us in several different places, there is nothing to be valued more than your own reputation. Your your name is better than, than gold. To have your reputation is better than to have money. And what Franklin Graham and several other evangelicals have done here is damage their credibility by defending some behaviors because there's an R beside the name and then trying to condemn similar behaviors when there's a D beside the name. So, with that, David French's op-ed. A rule of broadcasting is to never read articles on the air. And I'm I'm all about breaking the rules of broadcasting, but maybe this is easier to just give you a a summary. Here's David French's argument, and I think it's worth considering. That when... Christians who are publicly facing, who have a lot of following, like Franklin Graham, when they defend this president, it causes them to lose their witness to an unbelieving world. An unbelieving world has an easy way in which to not listen to them and to to brush them off as political hackery. Because this this is like let's take Franklin Graham, and I'm using David French's article here directly. He goes back through a 1998 op-ed that Franklin Graham wrote. So remember 1998, we're in the throes of Monica Lewinsky and that scandal. And this is, these are words that Franklin Graham wrote. If Bill Clinton will lie to or mislead his wife and daughter, 
those with whom he is most intimate, what will prevent him from doing the same to the American public? Now, end of quote. Now, I agree with that. In 1998, all the men in my lives, life, all of the Christian leaders I knew, that was their standard. Clinton, Bill Clinton is, would lie to his wife and daughter. Of course he would lie to us. He's therefore not qualified. And by the way, Franklin Graham in 1998, he was right. Clinton did lie a lot. He did mislead the country. He asked other people to lie to courts, to Congress, to the American people. But then we go 20 years later, and the same guy actually says, Franklin Graham said, he shouldn't have pursued Clinton the way he did. The quote is, that was a great mistake that should have never happened. And in that same interview, he said, this thing with Stormy Daniels is nobody's business. So what happened in those 20 years, Franklin? In 20 years previous, you were saying that the president lying about adultery means he'll lie to the American people and he'll, he, 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 will, he will lie to get what he wants. And then you have this president who committed adultery with Stormy Daniels, paid her off to shut up about it, lied about the, lied about the adultery, and then lied about paying her off. And we're supposed to say, he actually said, said, that's nobody's business. And what you do there, Franklin, is you lose your credibility. And your credibility is not supposed to be political was also supposed to be for the gospel. You harm your ability to actually speak truth into the culture because of your little political alliances. And it's not worth it. It used to be that we were the people, people like Franklin Graham, like could, could step out and say something about Pete Buttigieg and have some credibility. But a lot of Christians with a public-facing ministry have made fools of themselves. They've made fools of themselves by having all these quotes and videos and articles that they, they talked about morality and restoring the honor of the presidency and restoring the honor of the government. That's what they were talking about in the late 90s. And now, oh, those are private matters. We, should, we need to get behind the president. We just need to support him. And anyone who's, this is, this is my point here. When a... What happened with Franklin Graham, what's happened with some other Christian leaders, is they've forgotten that they're supposed to be outside the system. And what David French here writes, that they have, that they sacrificed their witness, they've lost their witness for political gain, that's just true. And there's a high cost to that. Because what we were given to do as Christians was salt and light. We're supposed to be salt and light in the culture, and we don't have any saltiness. The light is dimmed. When you, when you start playing political games, when you start trying to be involved inside the system, where the job of the Christian is to be outside the system and to be a prophetic voice, to say to political parties, no matter which one, to say to politicians, no matter where they come from, the following is biblical. The, these things are not biblical. We're here for what's right and what's wrong. And th- here's, I understand the fear. There's this creeping fear that comes in that says, but what if we lose? What if we lose elections? And what if this, this hard things happen in the secular, the secular world that we're in? What if we get an outcome we don't want? I would ask you this question. 
uh, what does it do? What what is it good for you to to gain the whole world and lose your soul? This is a serious question we need to, need to ask ourselves as evangelicals. Is winning the next ten elections more important than your soul? And if you have to come down to the two, keeping your soul and your credibility versus you lose all the elections and all kinds of bad stuff happens to your country and your culture and your economy because you lost elections. Which one are you going to pick? I think you know which one I've picked. I'm going to pick right. And if <laughs> and if I lose, oh shucks, I lost in a fallen, broken world. Oh, but I get to keep my con- I get to keep my conscience and I get to keep my credibility. Yeah, I'm going to keep those things. I'm going to keep my reputation over whatever this world gives us. Give you two more examples of this, and we're going to we'll quit. But this is a this is a, a value I wish we had more of: willingness to lose something in the world to get something that's eternal. There's a famous story in church history of a guy named Athanasius. Athanasius was a warrior for good doctrine, and he was hated for it. The world around him at the time, because he was standing up for several things, one of them was the deity of Christ, that Christ wasn't, he, he wasn't 50% man and 50% God, he was fully man and fully God, that he, he wasn't a, just, just a spiritual being, and he wasn't just a, a physical being, he was, he was fighting for the truth that is Jesus, that he was God made flesh. And he stood in a hard, at a hard time and said he stood contramundo, me against the world. I stand contrary to the world. Though the world come against me, all of its forces, all of its religious forces and political forces, though the world stand against me, I stand contramundo against the world because what I'm standing on is right. And so I will stand against the world. Now, they're probably going to kill me, and I'm probably going to lose, but I'm going to be right. I'm going to stand by that which was right. And then I'm going to take it back to Avengers for a minute. Stick with me. Don't, don't roll your eyes and tune out. There's a great scene in this last Avengers movie where it appears darkness is won. Thanos fights off Thor, Captain America, Iron Man. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet. And it just appears like this is just not going to end well. And that last movie was so dark, you almost think maybe this could just end badly. Maybe Thanos is just that powerful, the bad guy in Avengers. And Captain America's shield is broken. He's he's on the ground, got dirt all over his face, and Thanos conjures all of his, what looks like demons. He's just got monsters and bad dudes and a giant armies all around him. And Captain America's laying down. He's by himself. Thanos has this really crazy line about how he, he doesn't really like all the violence, but, man, what he's about to do to the Earth, what he's about to do to this rebellious planet, he's going to really enjoy. And you feel all the tension of evil getting its win. And Captain America tightens his shields. He stands up, and it's shot so beautifully cinematically where it's just Captain America who's about my size, six foot. I'm, I don't, I'm not quite 180, but Steve Rogers about six foot 180. And he's just standing on a hill by himself and coming for him are all of the thousands and tens of thousands of the forces of darkness. And it made me think contramundo. Here was the idealization 
of good and virtue and character and courage standing by himself, contramunda, against the world. And so take Athanasius if you want, and take Captain America and Avengers if you want, but there is a call there to the believer. Athanasius actually died. If Captain America wouldn't have gotten some help in Avengers, he'd have died. They'd have gotten him. And so we have a decision to make. You can stand contramundo for the truth, for right, for right versus wrong, and you might have some consequences in the political world or in the business world or something where it costs you. But you'll keep your soul. Or you can stand with the world. You can do that too. That costs you something else. I know the choice I'm going to make. And I hope you'll come along with me in making that choice too. It's a good article out there from David French if you have time to go read it. It's not that long, and it gives you something to think about. When we come back, Joe Biden has declared he's running for president. It's going to be fun, at least, and I have some thoughts about Joe Biden running for president and some dumb things he recently said. We'll do all that when we come back for the remainder of the Corey Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. Glad to have you with us for the final segment. One more quick announcement, South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax. They have a second show now. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. South Carolina Connections, it's wherever you're listening to my podcast, you can find a second show from me and the Palmetto Family Podcast Network. Find South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax. So Joe Biden decided he's running for president. I think we all expected it. And I think he has an interesting general election strategy. And then I also want to talk about one dumb thing he said. So the first thing I want to play for you is his announcement video, or at least a part of it because I, I think there's something to draw from it that is useful. So here we go. Uh, this is Joe Biden and his announcement video that he's going to be running for president of the United States. I would ask you to listen for this. The first two words out of his mouth. So he's introducing his campaign to the country. His first two words he chooses are actually really, really important. Charlottesville, Virginia is home to the author of one of the great documents in human history. We know it by heart. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. We've heard it so often, it's almost a cliche, but it's who we are. We haven't always lived up to these ideals. Jefferson himself did, but we have never before walked away from them. Charlottesville is also home to a defining moment for this nation in the last few years. And then you get the images of what happened in Charlottesville with that white supremacist rally and then the president of the United States. I have to summarize it here because we've got to move. The, Joe Biden goes back to President Trump saying there were good people on both sides. And there, it, was, it was, in my estimation, the worst moment of the Trump administration. There's been some great moments in the Trump administration. That was the worst one. The moral equivalency of the couple hundred people who were there at that white supremacist rally. Uh, comparing them to really any other decent American was was a horrible moment. So a couple quick things from Joe Biden in this campaign. One, he starts the whole thing with Charlottesville, Virginia. The first words out of his mouth are Charlottesville, Virginia. Because that is going to be, I think, a big issue in the campaign, no matter who wins the nomination. But it immediately gives you his theme. He talks for about three minutes. It's a three-minute video. He brings up no policies, 
doesn't talk about taxes, health care, education policy, criminal justice reform, literally no policy. He, he immediately, by saying Charlottesville, Virginia, gives you his theme. His theme is temperament. His, team is, his theme is going to be normalcy. I will offer you no policies. I will offer you no ideas. What I'm offering you is, do you feel freaked out by the president? Because if you do, I'm going to offer you normalcy. I will behave like a normal person. And he's trying to, uh, stability. I'm going to offer you stability. That's the word that he's bringing. Now, second thing is he's already running in the general election, and this is why I don't think he can win the primary. This is actually effective. I think he could probably win the general election with this message. He goes and starts quoting the Declaration of Independence. Like, that's a conservative thing. That's ours. That belongs to us. And he does the, we hold these truths to be self-evident, all men are created equal. He didn't even mind saying created. He said created equal. He included the God language. He also, in this video, as he starts talking about the good parts of America, he includes civil rights marchers for racial justice, but he, ne- he doesn't include any LGBT or any of the transgender madness. He doesn't include any of that in his video. Like, it's a very middle-of-the-road, moderate look where it's just uh, old-school, middle-Democrat-type thinking. And I think that could win a general election. It cannot win this primary. But maybe he thinks this, this field is so divided amongst the crazy left-wingers that he can maintain this moderate pose and ignore them all. Ignore Bernie. Ignore Buttigieg. Ignore Beto O'Rourke. Ignore Kamala Harris. Ignore all the other candidates and just win the primary with 30% of the vote. That's a possibility. That's about what Trump did. Trump, when it was in 2016 and still competitive, he was winning about 30% of the vote. That might be a strategy, and this would be effective. I just don't think that's where the Democratic Party is. The Democratic Party has gone insane, and if he's not going to be a radical left-winger, I don't think it's going to work. But that argument is the best argument they have uh, on the left because right now, again, the economy, as I talked about in the first segment, is booming. Even incomes are starting to slowly rise. Things are going well in foreign policy. Like The the record the president wants to run on is there. He's got a decent record to run on here. What you have to remind people of, if you're if you're the Democratic Party, you're trying to remind them, but the guy makes makes the whole thing feel unstable. It feels kind of crazy. Don't you want to get back to normalcy? And so Joe Joe's uh, strategy here, I think, is actually quite strong. We have very little time, but one other quick thing he did. He went on the View, and he said that he was really proud of how the Obama administration was scandal free. That was his word, uh, and I, that's absurd. And so I just want to toss out a couple things. Uh, we had the, in the Obama administration, one of the worst scandals was the IRS. The IRS targeting conservative groups, using a government agency to target his political opponents. That is Soviet-level garbage. Like, that's a horrible scandal. The way they responded to Benghazi, not that Benghazi happened, because I, I kind of feel for them, and I don't know how you prevent Benghazi from happening, but once the attack started, the response was so slow that th- that's, a, that's a scandal. The fact that he said, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. And then none of that happened with Obamacare. How about the scandal of buying the votes of Obamacare people like Mary Landrieu in Louisiana? Uh, the, the Louisiana Purchase, the Cornhusker Kickback. There was the stuff with the Secret Service and the underage prostitutes in, in Latin America. Like I could give you a cavalcade of Obama scandals. 
And so one of the things we can't do in this Democratic primary is let them rewrite history surrounding that, uh, that administration and that presidency. Remember, you can get my second show, South Carolina Connections, anywhere you get my show. Let's go ahead and move on to sports. We return to our weekly sports segment. We do that with our sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hi there, sir. Hello. We get to talk about my favorite thing. That's the NFL today. Yeah, well, the NFL draft is fun because it's just a, a spectacle. It I sure mean, is. Nashville was insane. They were, they were what, 650,000 people through That's the what entire I weekend. Uh, just all up and down the, the uh, what do they call it, Broadway there. In is Nashville. it Broadway? Yeah, or, or, I think, and I th- I, maybe I'm thinking of Music Row, which is not Broadway. Right. But this Broadway is the, is the main has, strip. Like, uh, Jason Aldean's restaurant and then... Tim McGraw's restaurant, you know, whoever has a restaurant on yes. that row. I don't know what you call it. Yeah, I've only been, I mean, I used to go, my band used to play in Nashville. Yeah. And that main row is huge. And I couldn't even tell that it was a road. Right. It did not look like a street. Um, and it tells me, tells me this about the NFL. Whatever predictions people have about the NFL not doing as well, it's doing quite well. It's very healthy. Let's just let's yeah. just be honest here. Oh, so their ratings drop and they only get a 17.9. Well, yeah. they're still... Eight times larger than yep. the next closest thing. This so, is the number one show right. uh, every, whenever People they're in season. try to create their own narrative where the NFL is struggling. Look, this is a multi-billion dollar. It's still number one. Mm-hmm. NFL is king in the United States. Whatever. And it's they're not healthy. even close. It's not even close, and it's not going anywhere. Even in the heyday of uh, right now with Game of Thrones or well, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead, those were not shows competing they're not with even NFL close. numbers. Yeah. So the NFL draft is, was happening. Um, I want to start here because I had some specific, specific thoughts about the New York Giants. Daniel Jones. Oh, my goodness. With the sixth overall pick. You know, I want the Giants to be bad because I'm a Cowboys fan. It's, right. They're in the same division. You want them to be bad. Daniel Jones is not going to be an NFL quarterback, right? Why is Daniel Jones even in, in the consideration for a first-round draft pick? I was This all away. goes back. Now, I've been all over Facebook talking about and Twitter, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. Yeah. These guys are so unnecessary. They do not know what they're talking about. Yeah. They even showed a, a, a video montage of Mel Kiper. Everything he's gotten wrong through 30 years of him being the quote-unquote expert draft yeah. guy. I'm like, why is he even there? The, oh, Daniel Jones is great. No, he's not. Watch no, his film. He's not great. No, He's uh, not great. Against mediocre ACC talent sometimes, he, he can't. There's throws he can't make. Right. Like in the um in the NFL, uh, I, I wondered about Deshaun Watson being able to throw from a, a right hash to a left sideline. Yep. He can do it. Yeah, if you Daniel back, Jones can't do that. Daniel Jones, if you watch I think it was the Wake Forest game, they scored three points. Yeah. And Wake Forest, while they had great secondary, that not a lot of pressure. There's up no front. pressure. Yeah. Like honestly. I was this is this is really what ticks me off when the when the when the quarterback class is light. And it was this year. They they struggle and they float this narrative out there like these are the guys and I don't know why GMs or coaches listen, but evidently they're listening to something because I mean a, a number six pick on Daniel Jones. I understand the need for quarterbacks, but this is one of those situations where you have a very high pick. Just take the best player. Just get the best player available. Yeah. Now the but jo- even Dwayne Haskins is sitting there still. Sure. And I don't think he. I don't think there was any. I don't think Kyler Murray's going to be great. I mean, I, he, I don't either. He might be a Russell Wilson. The only level. thing I do like about Kyler Murray is um, Kingsbury's offense that he runs. Sure, yeah, he, he fits that scheme. Yeah. Now, whether they can execute in the NFL is a different story to me. Yes, yeah. I, I just thought it was a really bad quarterback draft class. Right. Teams feel like I have to take one, but you don't. That's right. That's, that's not the rules. And I think the pressure on having the number one pick is if they miss and Kyler Murray turns out to be a Hall of Famer. 
it goes back to the Sam Bowie, Michael Jordan thing where yeah. we could have had this guy and we didn't. Right. And so they, uh, you get sh- afraid of what you might miss out on right. instead of just making the best decision with the data you right. have. The Giants did make the better decision later in the first round. I think the best defensive lineman in this Big draft Dex. is Dexter Lawrence. Oh, yeah. He's the best NFL player in this draft. I think I think he's NFL ready right, right now. now. I think he was maybe a year ago, too. I do, too. And this is what does hurt me. I'm a Cowboys fan. <laughs> and so he's going to be chasing around uh, Dak Prescott and yep. plugging up the hole for Ezekiel Elliott for 10 yeah. more years. Well, you know me. I don't really have an NFL team. Historically, I've been a Dolphins fan. Yeah. Then Marino retired, so that kind of knocked it out for me. Um, I do enjoy now with all the Clemson players that are getting put in the league um, following the players and the teams that have you know a lot of Clemson guys, like the Texans and the Bills have historically. And yeah. the Falcons do now. Um I guess I'm gonna have to buy a Raiders T-shirt now. Yeah, there's a there was a, <laughs> apparently well, there was a, a Cleveland Cleveland Farrell. That's it. Yeah, number no, fourth four. overall to the Raiders. Yep. Their first round was very impressive. They got a great. I, I'll be honest with you, the Raiders' entire draft. You know, everybody got on to them for getting rid of all these big time right. names, but they all they were doing was loading draft picks, and yeah. I think they did a good job for losing Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper. Yeah, what they just collected for the next five or six years. They, I, I was skeptical, mm-hmm. but I think they nailed it. Yeah, I think they did. I think Mike Mayock just did a fantastic job. Um, I just do. Not the, just because they picked up four Clemson guys either. Well, the well, Bama, uh, the Bama running back that got number 17 or 18, Jacobs, is it? Mm-hmm. That guy, I think, is an NFL-level player. Yep. Trent Richardson type. Uh, Cleveland's going to have a seven or eight-year career. But if you go top to bottom and look at their draft picks, they're all extremely high-character yeah. guys. And even if you watch the film when they called Hunter Renfro, they were talking about their culture they're trying to change, and he's the type of guy they want to come in and be himself, don't change a thing. Yep. Um, and plus, you know, Hunter Renfro's great, you know, loves the Lord, all that stuff. Yep. Which is kind of weird to see these guys going to the Raiders. Oakland of all places. Uh, yeah, Oakland of all places. Yeah. But um, the fans are passionate, and I, I get it. So uh, I'm looking forward to see what they do out there. Did they not pick up a corner that was uh, excellent as well? They pick Trayvon Tra- Mullen. Right. Mm-hmm. They have made that team with a, a youth movement. Yep. Where you don't have the rookie scale is way less. Yeah. You can pay rookies less. Right. Uh, they'll be able to make some they, they've got a lot of flexibility. I actually am looking forward to the Raiders. If Derek Carr can be anything like he was yep. two years ago, they're gonna be good. Oh, they're gonna the be West. good. And yeah. I'll tell you who else is gonna be good is Cleveland. Like the Browns are, I'm not calling for them to win the Super Bowl, you know, but they will be good. Yeah. So the, especially I'll be honest with you, I like when the when the bottom dwellers historically Me too. all of a sudden build a team and they're and they build it the right way. They build it through the draft, they build yep. it through free agency. I like that. They don't just go out and spend billions of dollars trying to get these players. I want to see Cleveland do well. I do, too. I'm ready for it. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be good. They've been a joke for so long. And Pittsburgh did a good job in the draft as well. They did. That they did. got Benny Snell. Yeah. That, to go the, with James Conner is already there. The running back from Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky. Yeah, yeah that, Plus that is Connor a great. from Pittsburgh is there. we got to see him at Clemson, play against Clemson. Yes. Um, they just paid Ben a ton. They now did. you got these two young running backs that you don't have to pay a ton. Right. There's They already had a great offense. I mean, the Steelers should be overachieving. So uh, one quick on the AFC East thought. The Dolphins get. I get they got Josh Rosen. I don't know if he's going to be an NFL quarterback. I hate this. Yeah, but they got Christian Wilkins. Right, I love that. So my thought was, the the as long as Brady and Belichick are still there, you can't compete anyway. Right. It would not hurt for the Dolphins, the Jets, or the Bills to have one more garbage year because I think Belichick and Brady only have one more. Right. And if you can come out of this next draft to a two attack of Iola or to some, it's going to be a decent quarterback draft yep. coming up. They've built something else. The Dolphins have structure everything but a quarterback. Yeah, I think the Dolphins are starting at the right point. Like, you know, obviously the Patriots are, are the big bully in the of room. Of course. Um, so start building now because it, every dynasty, you know, they never last forever. Mm-hmm. 
The Bulls didn't last. The Cowboys didn't last in the early 90s. Time is undefeated. You know, time is undefeated. It wins every time. Yeah. So I think they're doing a good job. I just I didn't like Rosen at UCLA. I didn't like him when he got drafted by the Cardinals. I didn't like him at the Cardinals. I didn't like him when he got traded to the Dolphins. I don't like him today. I won't like him tomorrow. Nope. I just don't like him. I don't think he's a, he's not an NFL <laughs> quarterback. He's and his attitude is bad. Yes. He's a, he's a privileged bad word. Well, he, yes. I just not – you know, I just don't like it. He has the attitude that he is an NFL quarterback. That's right. And an elite one. And yet to prove a thing. Nothing's there, bro. You've not done the work They were yet. in last place in all four major offensive categories in the league. Yeah. Uh, and it was often because of him. He can't yeah. throw on the run. You, the, he can do, like, one thing. He's static. Yeah, he's not. He's not yeah, good. I just, I hate that. Um, I had one more, ca- so I had a Cowboys thought. I Because of how Amari Cooper turned out, I was, I'm fine that the Cowboys didn't have a first-round pick. Yep. Didn't hurt my feelings at all. But when they got, they got the uh, offensive line and defensive line got better in this draft, mm-hmm. well, uh, about to say we, the Cowboys won the a- the NFC East last year over the Eagles, over the Giants, over the Redskins, and I, I think the the Cowboys got better. I think they're another playoff team. Yep. One more year in, there's something they. I, I actually think the Cowboys are going to be at eleven and five, twelve and four team after this draft. Yeah, they were they were good. Um, so any more just local stuff, Debo Samuel. Also went to the 49ers. Yes, he did. That was the South Carolina player yep. taken early. And they, if Jimmy Garoppolo can stay healthy, I tell you what, man, I lo- I love Debo Samuel. Yeah, yes. I know he went to the game. I don't care. He's great. If man. the guy's a good football player, I'll give him credit. And he is fantastic. He's hard to handle. He's yes. fast. He's big for his size, which sounds like an oxymoron, but he's tough. I, yes. I love watching him. The I uh, think it was a great pickup for give, just Garoppolo. Give Garoppolo some weapons. Yep. That guy can play. Yeah, I don't know who's going to cover him in the NFL. He's so fast. He's got um, a great kick returner as well. Yep. Um, so of those local teams, Debo went. We talked about Cleveland to the Raiders, Wilkins to the Dolphins, Trayvon to the Raiders, Hunter Renfro to the Raiders. Did Austin Bryant got taken off the board somewhere, right? Was it Detroit? Yes, the Lions. Austin Bryant. Yeah, he went in the fourth round. Okay. Yeah. And again, my favorite. I pick. think they stole him though, honestly. Yeah, I think he's going to be a great yep. NFL player. He sets the edge well right. on on runs. Dexter Lawrence being a giant. I think he's the one we're going to talk about literally I, 10 years from yeah, now. I, was say, I think Dexter Lawrence will be the first All-Pro out of the group that left this year. Absolutely. Or got, got drafted this year, I'm sorry. We have uh, run out of, all out of time. Thanks for coming in and talking sports. I appreciate we'll it. We'll be back with another new edition of the Court Act Show next week. Until next time, everybody, peace and love.